Hey, everybody. Welcome to Beer and Loathing. Another new episode. This week's guest is Adam Resnick. He's a comedy writer. He's the author of a funny collection of essays. He's got all sorts of great stories and great observations. So let's get to it. Beer and Loathing with Adam Resnick. Tonight's special guest, who I'm now going to introduce, and as we get more professional, I've been writing these out ahead of time, so I'm now going to read the introduction for tonight's guest. Here we go. Meeting people, making new friends and connections, expanding your social circle, embracing new experiences, growing by engaging directly with the world around you. This is supposed to be the essence of an enriching and fulfilling life, but to tonight's guest, these things are the stuff of nightmares. Adam Resnick is the author of a collection of humorous personal essays called Will Not Attend. It's one very anti-social man story of navigating through life with what he calls a basic revulsion for human interaction. But despite this, or maybe because of it, he has managed to carve out an accomplished career in comedy. He was a writer for Late Night with David Letterman, Saturday Night Live, and for The Larry Sanders Show with Gary Shandling. He also directed one of the very few movies that Letterman actually acted in, 1994's Cabin Boy, which also starred Chris Elliott. I actually kind of love that movie. I look forward to talking with him about that and a lot of other stuff. So, without any further ado, please welcome to the show Adam Resnick. Adam, welcome. Wow, thanks for having me, Steve. <laughs> thanks, you guys. This is great. It takes place in a bar. That's the hook. Well, from what I can tell, you don't drink and you're antisocial, so... Right. Is yeah. it great I, to I'm be not here? so antisocial. I just don't like to. Uh, I don't know. I think that's maybe the shtick. The, uh, the when they're selling the book, they're trying to. I am. <laughs> I, I don't know what that is. I just like you know. I'm not like a. I don't care about talking to people. It doesn't bother me. I have no fear of it. I don't uh, necessarily completely avoid it. I just you know. I, I just don't like to do stuff. I mean, there was there was a passage in your book that. I guess I, I could relate to it, and I think probably most people reading it could. You you, you I guess you come out of your apartment every day. And there's somebody who's, who's working in the hallway at the mm-hmm. elevator, and, and you, you're fine with the, hey, how are you, how's the weather? Right. And then usually the elevator will arrive by that point, and you can end That's the right. conversation gracefully. But there was a day when the elevator was broken, and it was sort of a traumatic experience for you. Well, it wasn't so bad. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, I prefer the conversation, you know, continue to be short the way it is most mornings. It was the... You know, the, the, the worst thing, the thing that I hate talking about the most is just anything that has to do with, like, what I do for a living, because ultimately it's going to point in a bad direction, <laughs> I think. But yeah, that, but that guy, yeah, he, he started to ask me about, uh, you know, he wanted to write a screenplay, which is funny because everyone wants to write a screenplay, right? But he was so, uh, he started to ask me about that. He had mentioned about seeing one of my movies, uh, you know, on TV and one of the pointers. And that, that's to me, is the nightmare he could talk and brought up any subject. Does that, does that happen a lot? People, um, everybody wants well, no, to know how to get well, into the business? Like, well, there's sometimes that happens. You know, that happens occasionally, but uh, with family, it's a big problem, too. Like, so what's going on? What are you doing? What's the... Yeah, I, I just hate talking about it. I, I don't like talking about it in general, because it's sort of... Uh, um, I'll talk to you about it. That's okay. I was going to say, good, because <laughs> i got all these questions here. That no, 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 no. This is, this is unique <laughs> circumstances. But, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd rather have a conversation about just about anything than just the, the you know... The, whatever the minutia of writing for television or movies or anything like that. I, I kind of I feel the same way in, in my life. I mean, I do, mostly do politics for a living. I do a show about politics. Right. I write about it. And yeah, you know, it's like every family event I go to or whatever, and it's a natural thing for them to do. They all want to say, oh, what do you think of the presidential race? What do you think of Trump? And, and I'm, I'm sort of like, 
God, it's the last thing I want to think about right so you now. Open my, that's interesting. But you opened my eyes in a way how it is for him because I, I would be all over you about that. In fact, if we were just sitting here, that's, I'd, I'd be driving you nuts about that. Well, so we could yeah, talk politics too tonight. Yeah, that's sure, fine. Yeah, I, I'll ask you about Letterman. You can okay. ask me about okay. Trump. And yeah, we'll, you know, it's, so that's like it's, So you, you hate doing Yeah, you just assume that someone would want to, you know, because they do that. You write about politics. People just assume sometimes that, you know. It, and it, it probably, it's a natural out. way to start a conversation too, right? If you're, if you're, you know, if it's a family member I see once a year or something. Yeah. You know, they, it's, it, they don't want to pry too much into my personal life, I guess. So it's sort of like, it'd be the natural thing to ask. I guess, right. you know, my uncle who, uh, he's a special ed teacher in Connecticut. I guess that would be the thing I would start asking him. Right, you know, right. hey, any, you know, what are the kids in your, you know, the, a lot of times the kids in his class are violent. He, they hired him because he's 6'5", 250 pounds. He played football. Right, they right, hired right. him because he could control the kids if they ever, like, literally control them physically. <laughs> yes. uh, so I, I might ask him about that. Have you yeah, been on right, the floor right. yet this year? Yeah, no, no, you know, yeah, something yeah, like well, that. And to me, I would just go straight to the, the absolute worst incidents that you've been there. Go. Yes. That's what I would say. And, and yet, that's the thing. He actually seems to like talking about it. So yeah, some yeah. people do... You know, and it's not politics. I do, you know, for all like my complaining or whatever it is, I still end up talking about it a lot socially. But yeah. I, I don't know. That I, seems like an easy one. See, that's easier to talk about. But but, but anything show business related, I just think. Well, it's, especially it's if they're if they're trying to get design. into the industry and they're trying yeah. to use you as like you know, this is going to be the moment that makes me. Or or you know, if people just want some kind of advice and there is no, there really is absolutely no advice. That's the tough part that people you know and. and and when someone uh, asks you to maybe read something they wrote, that that's also that puts you're immediately in trouble because if it's let's say it's great, well where do you get then? It's going to be okay. Well, can you somehow help? And you and you really can't. You know, I could not get any of my agents to. I know for a fact they would not read anything by anyone. They wouldn't. You could tell them how great it was. They're not going to read it. They're not, it's just it's 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 an awful business to try to get into and. And, and a lot of times, once you're in, it's an awful business. So, you know, there's a, there's a select few that I think have a good time with it, but I, uh, you know. Well, let's, and this, I'll open it up to anybody, uh, you know, watching right now on Meerkat. I mean, as we say, he's uh, written for Letterman uh, in, the, in the glory days when it was Late Night with David Letterman on NBC. Um, those are great clips. I, I still go back and, and check those out on YouTube all the time. I want to ask him about some of those in a minute. But also a little bit of SNL in the 90s, uh, Larry Sanders' show, uh, the movie, if you say Cabin Boy, a couple, couple others, Lucky Numbers, remember that one? So uh, if you got any, any questions, any comments about his career, about show business in general, about the entertainment, the comedy world, let us know. Well, Daniel will fill us in on those in a minute. So let's, let me ask you, I said Letterman. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about that because I, I, I'm a little too young where when Letterman was on NBC in the 80s, right. I heard about it. My parents wouldn't let me stay up that late. When I would see it, I didn't quite understand it, but I got into it. In the early 90s, the E! Channel would run the reruns at oh, night. Yeah, I remember that thing. And I was, yeah, I was probably 13, 14 years old. I started watching it, and I, I just thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. And I still go back, like, when he retired, I kind of got into a Letterman mood a couple months ago. And I went and I watched every clip I could find online of Larry Bud Melman okay. in the 80s. Yeah. Those were incredible. Well, that's interesting. You're the first, I've never heard that, and I guess I never assumed that, that, that there might be some people that... Uh, caught up to that later who were too young that saw the reruns because I don't remember the rerun I don't remember it running that long on a it's it was sort of, it, 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 it was just that perfect wheelhouse I think where I was you know it was at that moment in my life where I was looking for something like that yeah. it was on for like a year or two yeah that's oh that and I started watching that? it I watched it every night you know yeah. it'd be a random episode from like five years earlier but. yeah I forgot all about that Man, that's cool yeah well, what was so? If people remember this guy, I, I want to ask you about it because I'm curious. Like Larry Bud Melman, yeah. Um, describe him to, to people who maybe don't know, and, and, and how did where did this even come from? 
Wow, that's a tough one. There's a lot. I mean, that, that, he was a guy that was before I got there. Uh, there were a couple of writers that uh, went to NYU, I guess, and they went. They uh, used him as a student film. And this is like the when the show just started, even before it's even on the air. But they show and they. Uh, this was a guy. He's just sort of an actor. He's very difficult to describe. He's not a really good actor. He's just a very interesting character, sort of lone wolf. He has no family, and uh, I don't know he's an he's a unusual, unique human being, but he was so he was in some kind of film they made and Dave and Meryl Marco, who co-created the show uh, with Dave um, saw the film and loved him and they just wanted to use him right away and he was, in fact the first thing you saw, the first episode of uh, Late Night with David Letterman is a cold opening with Larry Bud Melman his real name is Calvert DeForest right. and he's doing a uh, it's a thing that the, the movie Frankenstein, the James Whale movie, uh, there used to be this uh, sort of opening to that. I think Carl Wendling, or something, I forget who it was, someone that produced the movie, giving this speech about, well, you know, we're warning you, this is quite a shock, so if you can't take it, you know, they, and so uh, he did this, uh, I'm not doing that justice, but so he did a version of that. He basically, I think, you know, someone had the idea that he would uh, give that speech right before the show started about, you know, prepare you for late night with David Letterman and it may shock you, it may horrify you, but well, we warned you and then it would go, then it went into the... And it was, it was but like he, he, intentional bad acting yeah, or No, or it was not. Bad well, first of all, that thing, yeah, people should see that, uh, see if that's on YouTube because whoever came up with that, I don't know who, who, I have no idea who came up with that, but it was a brilliant way to, to begin you know, the David Letterman era it was with that opening. But uh, it was, no, that's the thing is, what you saw on TV, that was him. He yeah. didn't get it. There was a, He didn't know. He never got the joke. He never, what, you know, if you would, uh, I remember I wrote something for him. It was, it's, there was a segment called Ask Mr. Melman where uh, right. an audience member would ask a fake question. We would go down to the audience, to the, to the line before they came in and hand out, uh, you know, a, a thing for them to fill out to ask Mr. Melman and we pick the best ones and then write responses and at the end after he would give the response during the show they would stand up ask the question he would give some funny response that he didn't get what the joke was <laughs> he would always be uh, he would always give them a gift whatever it was and he would say and the one uh, said the one gift was like please give this please give this man a Bill Wendell was the announcer Bill Wendell please give this man a two uh, two liter bottle of root beer that was one of them I think that I that whatever we're writing that I said well how about a two liter thing he had never seen that word so when right, he rehearsed right before the show he kept saying uh, two liter and we're like now Calvert it's you know liter not and so he would try it again but he could not stay, stop saying liter so we had it written on the uh, on the cue cards and L-E-E T-E-R. And so when he did on the air, he was like, Bill Wendell, please give this man a two-liter bottle of... <laughs> <laughs> but that, that was sort of... Uh, but, and that's, that's what made the character so funny, I think. Yeah, right. Was, was he, that was, sort of he, obliviousness. He, he was totally and, oblivious. Right. Yeah. Well, so what was, um, what was David Letterman like? Great. I mean, it was... Uh, did you have, like, a, a lot of interaction with him? Was yeah, it, sure. Yeah, it was... Uh, I mean, I was lucky enough to get, you know, to get an internship there. The, the, the timing was, uh, it was just incredible, because if I hadn't called, I did a cold call there to ask if they had any internships, and it turned out that they needed a writer's intern, so I went in and met, uh, you know, had to have a couple interviews with Steve O'Donnell, the head writer, and some other people. But at that time, you know, it was a sort of a small kind of a clubhouse uh, on the 14th floor at uh, NBC, and uh Dave was very, yeah, was always very accessible and a great guy. And um, I mean, you know, he eventually hired me as a writer, so he changed my life. But he's, uh, yeah, I have nothing but, but, you know, just the great memories of him. It was the, it was the uh, of Dave, and he's, he's, 
It was, it was the best job, and it was the happiest time of my life. I don't know that the CBS years probably felt like that as much to some of the people who worked there because it was more, it was gigantic. Dave by then was a big star, and I think that took the fun. You know, I was there, I came in, you know, the show had already begun. It was already like a couple years in, maybe three or two or three years in, but we were it was still building on something. It was exciting. Everyone was, it was a different kind of feeling. It was, it was, uh, well, it was sort you know. of, like, it always seemed to me like, and I was, I was thinking about this recently, because I was, I was talking to a friend of mine when Letterman went off the air, and we were, we were saying, and I had, I had not seen a new Letterman in five or six years, for no particular reason, mm-hmm. I just sort of, sort of got out of the habit of it. Um, I, was saying, I, I was saying the same thing, like, it, it, it felt different, those old NBC shows versus the CBS, and it's sort of like, he was the underdog on NBC, he right. was in the 12.30 slot, Carson was the big fish, and he was sort of like... He was kind of making fun of his status as sort of this, this sort of you know afterthought at NBC. Yeah, right. afterthought like, in the like, big like it was barely television. Right, we and now watching. suddenly yeah, at CBS, yeah. he is the face of the network. Yeah, really. right, and He's right. you know the twenty million dollar man or right, whatever. It's a right. totally different feel. Well, I think you know he adapted exactly the way he had to adapt. You know, he wasn't a guy who could uh, go out on the street anymore for some silly remote. You know, towards the end of the NBC you know years, it was hard for him to do remotes because he and he you know it would be annoying to go out to shoot a remote. It was just you know. Everywhere, someone yelling, like, "Dave, Dave!" Right. You know, it's like you know, and it, I got, you know, there was a while there was a segment. Uh, this is, I think, it was I don't know whose it was. I mean, this is before I got there. Called Mister Curious. I don't know if you ever yeah, saw yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, it was just Dave on the street, and he would uh, just ask people as they walked by, whatever. Hey, what's in your bag? What's in the bag? Just ask them anything, you know. And at that time, no one knew who Dave was, so they didn't. It's it's a really brilliant segment, but that's the sort of thing that, you know, once he got to CBS, he could no longer do that. Do, so, do you think he felt the same way you're describing, of sort of like, what the, the sort of magical to you mm-hmm. those 80s years were, those NBC years were? Do you think do you think he felt that too? He feels that too when he looks back? I don't think, I think that when you're trying to, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine having, being a talent like Dave, where you have a career. No, I think he, no, I'm sure he has real fondness and proud, but, and was proud of it, but I don't think you can stay at that level. You have to keep, you have to go somewhere for right. that. So he absolutely, by the end of the 90s or the early 90s, I think he had sort of conquered that format and that 12:30 feeling. There was no really, there was no no other way for him to go but up, and so that's where it's he up was. Around. And, and yeah. then, you know, and then he became like the, uh, you know, the great, the elder statesman, uh, and who, and still, for my money, the best. No one's come close, and I think anyone that is around now that's doing it, it's all. Um, derivative, not in a bad way, just in a natural way, you know, it's, it, everyone's so influenced by Dave that, uh, you know, I think that's what, the, not just late night shows, but comedy in general, it's just a huge impact, both good and bad, because there's a lot of insincere snarkiness out there that's not, you know, Dave was an honest guy who just, uh, you know, whatever, he, he, he was, if he was displeased with a guest or, or, or anything like that, it would show, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't an ass kisser, you know, and he had no love of Hollywood and, uh, right. and then, and celebrity and that kind of thing, so, and he well, was always, a, he was still like that right to the end, I think. That's something I want to get into a little As bit later, too, dead. is that, <laughs> right, um, I'll get into that a little bit later, too, the state of, of current late night and everything, but we're going to give the microphone to guest moderator Daniel right now, who has been monitoring Meerkat and has some questions and comments from there. Um, so there are a couple of people are talking about Letterman. Um, one person wants to know, is, what's he doing now? Is, does he have a, a next step in his career? Um, where he's going to end up? And um, also curious uh, how Colbert will do with that first show. 
the, the broader late night spectrum. And then one uh, one of our followers wanted to know about the Starland vocal band show. Letterman had fond memories of, of doing that, which I guess was an early Letterman might have been involved in I, 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 the vocal band show. I thought that was real trivia for Letterman. I, I, I'm not sure what the last one means. I think perhaps the first... Yeah, so I'm not sure what the last question means. I might know what that means. The first two are unanswerable, but I will say as far as... Yeah. I don't know what Dave is doing. I'm sure he's... Um, do, you, do you think he'll be back on TV someday? Or is he like Carson? I, I, is he kind of... Do you think I have no idea. You know, Carson, you know, when he, when he quit... Uh, you know, made it sound like he was going to come and back and do something. But when you get to the level of, of Dave and Johnny Carson, these icons, like you have to, I think you have to be careful. And I know Dave is the most careful man on earth of what you do. But it's, it's Jerry Seinfeld did nail it with that uh, talking to comedians in cars, whatever the hell it is. Do you know what that is? Yeah, it's like it's, some, yeah, yeah. So, because you know, it's something that he's enjoying, but it's not something that you're putting out there and to like get a lot of ratings and to compete it's just something he's enjoying it's not the marriage ref is that what you're I don't know what that is that was Seinfeld's failure oh forgot about that (laughs) right most people did (laughs) the marriage ref well okay everyone so good Dave I'm sure would learn from that he ain't gonna do the marriage Dave would have never done the marriage ref right (laughs) but no but uh you know um uh, so, so it's. I think it's about figuring out what to do that for Dave, what he'll enjoy, and something that it's not about. You know, he's he's the fucking king. He doesn't. It's not about. He's not going to compete anymore. He doesn't have to do that. It's ridiculous. You know. So, so um, I don't know. I'm sure he would like to do something. He's he's too young to uh, to just stay at home. But it's. Uh, I I can imagine it's it's going to be does tough to ha- figure out the perfect thing. Do you think does he have? So we talk about like Carson. In in the one moment from Carson's retirement that I remember is. Letterman shows that in L.A. one night, probably two years after Carson goes off the air, and he just walks out on stage. And the place goes crazy, and he sits down at the desk, and it looks like he has something to say, but the audience won't stop cheering. And then he just kind of gives up, smiles, walks off. It was the only time I ever saw Carson in his retirement. Yeah. And it was, but it was a message there, too, that like at that moment, that was the height of the Leno-Letterman war. Right. And here was Carson saying, this is my guy. It's Letterman. It's not yeah, Letterman. That, Does Letterman have a guy right now who he... I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know. Probably if, I bet if, if it is, it's like a, you know a race car driver, a NASCAR person, or something. <laughs> whatever. You know, he like yeah. But he has his own team, the you know Letterman Ray Hall team or whatever. So uh, um, yeah, I don't know. As far as as far as television, I he probably doesn't give a shit, and um, one way or the other. Uh, but it, it's but I don't know that. I don't. I, I really don't know. And I think that. Um, with Dave and, and Carson, it was different because that was a different era. There were only two guys. It was like Carson and Dave who, you know, if there had been any justice in the world, the world had everything was fair in the world, he would have had The Tonight Show. And uh, But now, when you think about it, does he have a guy? you got to look how many guys there are. It's like, who the hell knows? I mean, it's, uh, um, it, it's, it's uh, you know, I think there's some couple of them that he probably admires and thinks they're okay but it's not it's a it's a generational generational thing like Carson you know Dave was his guy and uh and Dave felt that Carson was you know that he owed everything to Carson so it was that clip you're talking about by the way is interesting because um you know Carson that's how you do things like I find that that clip fascinating I've seen it a couple of times because Carson, he comes out and he looks great. I, I don't know where I don't know where that was. You might be right. It might have been I in think LA they were or in maybe it's in yeah. New York. I don't know. But he looks so great and better than he did than the one. I don't know how much longer that was after the, he retired, whether it was a year or two. But he comes and he sits down, and you know the audience 
you know, is going nuts. And he looks like maybe he might say something, but he's so smart, he did the right thing. He had gotten up, he just, he just basically just sort of... There was nothing he could up. say, right? And no, yeah, nothing yeah. he could say, because where does it go from that? That's right. the, you know, Thanks, it's people, about you know, right, yeah. Yeah, 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 I, think, I thought that was really cool. And I think Dave has a lot of that kind of instinct in him of those sorts of things, Yeah, you know? it's yeah. the ultimate, it's the performer's yeah, mindset. Right, right, right. What, uh, one more Letterman question. I've always wondered about this, too. I'm curious what you make of it. Like, so obviously... The, the first two years at uh, at CBS, Letterman is, is kicking Leno's ass, and, and every say NBC made the big mistake. Then you know Hugh Grant goes on Leno's show; they switch in the ratings, and it never changes for you know mm-hmm. all those years later. What what do you think? Why do you think Leno beat Letterman in the ratings? You know, I really don't know. And the Hugh Grant thing is this mysterious. I, I think that might have been coincidental. You know, as far as why it shifted, I don't know. But I, I for some reason I never bought that that was the thing that that uh, suddenly everyone shifted over there. With the, and by the way, the thing he said to Hugh Grant, what the hell were you thinking, is such a Letterman-esque type of thing. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, you know, that's uh, something Dave would say. It would have come out more natural and whatever. But nonetheless, I don't know why it shifted. It's a mystery to me because I don't know anyone who watched Leno. I mean, who watches Leno, you know? It was Even very, though, was know, it very you know, much like a red state, blue state thing? Could have been. A coastal, you know, uh, yeah. middle America. Yeah, I, and also, you know, because Dave really kicked his ass at first, you know? And uh, so that's, I, I, I really don't know. It doesn't make sense they, to me, because Leno's show, you know, Dave, there, there's just no comparison, you know, between those two guys. There's just none. It, it, and it's, it's like Secretariat and uh, what's, what's a really shitty horse? Uh, <laughs> any other horse, let's just no, say. I right? mean, you know, Jay had something going before NBC <laughs> when Dave used to bring him on at, at late night. He was so funny. I don't know if you saw any of those. Yeah, yeah. He's a really funny guy. Mm-hmm. And his jokes really edgy, but it was, you know, what he did was not. Uh, he was a. That was. I thought what he did was really dishonest and sneaky to not only to Carson but also to Dave and. and uh, Dave never, I, I don't know this, but my sense is he just never saw it coming because I don't think, I think he thought, well, if life is fair, of course that's what will happen the day that Johnny goes, that I will be, you know, take over, he work, his, life's work life's his ass fair. off, gave them a, a time slot that was doing nothing and turned it into something. You know, he deserved to get it, and history would have been different because he would have been great, And uh, but whatever, I think it all worked out well. I think it's as far as, uh, yeah, fuck it, what else? <laughs> So, well, one of the other things we do on here, we try to get to know you a little bit. Um, I have really dumb icebreaker questions that right. I write every week. Oh, wow. Uh, some of these are related to your professional work and career. Some of them are just okay. really, really dumb. But uh, we have 18 of them. So if you pick a number between 1 and 18, I'll ask you one of these seven. questions. Seven. Number seven. If uh, You get to live your life as one sitcom character, past or present. Which is it? Nine. I have no fucking answer. You don't, you don't do well the introspection? I have Fred Sanford. Okay. Okay. Sanford and stuff. But for no reason. I just said that. It was gonna be a Sanford, yeah. Oh, but actually, it was kind of a, looked like a fun job, you know? They were getting by. and uh, A lot of one-liners? Why, you big dummy. Yeah, sure. <laughs> What's another one? Please. Give me another number. Let's see what else we got. Okay, go, go with nine. That's right. You want number nine? Yeah. Uh... What is something valuable that you think has been lost in the age of social media? <laughs> I don't know. Good icebreaker, right? That's a good one. Yeah, that one's too fast. Just sitting around we a bar. Yeah. That's what we, you we all know. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a good no, no. But, but it's you're a, not here. Here's the thing I found out. I don't think you're on Twitter, right? No, no, I don't do anything. Is there a reason for that? What's the reason? 
I, I mean, I just don't see, there's no purpose. I don't see, you know, why it's, to me, that would just be, like, working for free or doing it. Why would you do it? And plus, I don't really, uh, I, I, there's no, I, I, maybe it's because I'm, you know, I had one foot in kind of the old day, the pre-internet days, and then the post-internet and internet days, but I think between my cell phone, between, you know, a, a telephone and email, that's um, basically all the communication that's required, at least for me, between anyone that I know, or, or and sometimes there's too many emails, <laughs> but still, but as far as that, the Twitter, I don't, I can understand for a performer why maybe it's a, maybe it's an okay thing, although it's really funny, Dave never did it, and it did a hilarious thing in the show where he pretended to sort of, I think he, he did sign up, he tweeted the other late night host or something, right, yeah, he did it in a, you know, uh, a purposefully, you know, uh, um, lame way, which was really funny, but there, but, are, there are comedy but, yeah. careers now that are made from Absolutely. Twitter, right? no, look, yeah. my book would have sold better had I done Twitter, I was told that early on that I should, I need more of an internet presence, but I, I, um, so maybe it was stupid of me not to do it for that, but I just, the thought of, uh, of checking that every day and just uh, and also the people that go on and have to and write something funny every day I mean that's great but I, I just wouldn't you know like, I don't get it but but some people have uh, monetized it I, I guess and without a doubt um, it probably would have been helpful to, you know on some level if I if I went on Twitter and tried to build up followers definitely for my book it would have been helpful or anything else I, I just don't feel like it so you, you do everyone I bet everyone at this table does it right everyone is, is we, all we, yeah, we do although I am I'm terrified of it, and I, I have... What are you terrified about? I'm terrified of becoming the target of Twitter oh, anger well, and Twitter rage. Oh, well, that's the other thing, too. I hear about that, know? yeah, about the, what they call them, trolls. Is the there's, right there's tro- well, trolls are one thing, but then there's also, like, I just feel like I will inadvertently say something that just... Oh, I see. It, 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 it comes off the wrong. It's yes. not what I mean. What you're describing, but it will, you know, what you're describing is one of the, another of the very, you know, one of the many reasons I would never do it. I get enough fucking people hating me. You know what I mean? I was like, then <laughs> strangers. I mean, it's a, so um, yeah. So that would not be. What do you do? You block them or something? Well, that, see, yeah. The flip side of what you're not getting is every time I do the show or every time I'm on TV or whatever, you get the there's. If you know Twitter, there's the you can press a button. It's everybody who's made a comment about you. You will then see the comment they made. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, and, right. and so I understand that. Much. Oh, okay. I was. I was <laughs> you're oh, right, talking about great uncle you, hank here about how, you, how twitter you block works the trolls. <laughs> well no the key is like I, I feel like if you block them you're validating them in some way because yeah. they'll see that you block them and then right. they feel like you know i got them see right, I, you right, know right. so it's it, it's you know i read it people tell me just don't read it but i'm going to read it of course i'm going to read it and sometimes they're like okay i, I you know that guy's just Nuts, whatever, not a big deal. But yeah. it's when they say something that like there's an edge to it, and there's a you could see there's a grain of truth to it. Like they oh, yeah. well, that's they like, caught yeah. something about yeah, my laziness like, or about yeah. my lack of preparation, right. or whatever it is. And then it's like they well, feel exposed. I've always felt you know in, in uh, anything I've done you know that that was reviewed that with the exception of the book, I'm kind of happy with the book no matter what. Even the people that don't like it, I understand why they don't. But in general, I think with movies, movies is a good example. The with me, like, it, I've only ever believed the bad reviews. I never believed the good. The bad reviews are the only ones I believe. So if I read them, yeah, so I try not to read them, though. They're usually the ones that make sense. I actually think if you go, you know, on those site like Rotten Tomatoes and look at reviews uh, of movies, oftentimes I'll, I'll look at the bad ones. This is so awful. But usually, whether I've seen the movie or not, if the bad, the bad ones can actually make a couple points, I'd be like, well, I don't want to see that now. And that's so unfair. I would never want anyone doing that to me. That's the danger of it. But I, on the other hand, 
movies that I have seen, when I look at the bad reviews, I always think, yeah, that nailed it. That's just true. That's what's wrong with the movie, you know? I think, as long as, look, some, now there's so many reviewers. If some, there's some reviewers are just pricks and they want to, you know, purposely uh, say something bad about the movie, that's one thing. But when there's, when it makes sense, that's the worst thing. When it's written intelligently and it's bad, there's no worse are feeling. You, it's you, like when you say when you get caught and go, holy shit, that, that, that they sense that you were unprepared, you know, that was, that would have all, yeah, and you're like, that you're, they were right. Well, there's nothing after that. Nothing else matters. Do you, do you anticipate that the criticism while you write or while you're making a movie or, or you know, I mean, I, I find that when I'm writing now, when I write a column or something that I know is, you know, people are going to react to or whatever, I, I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking ahead to like, okay, this line's going to cause trouble or this, this section is going to be misunderstood. And I can, you know, and I'm trying to brace for it or prepare for it or something, but I'm anticipating the criticism. While yeah, there's a, I mean, there, when I was writing for a couple of times, I just thought, you know, oh, this, this, I wonder if this will piss people off, you know, but you can't, you just can't think that way because you always will piss people off. And also, anything that is reviewable, you'll, there are so many people out there that, uh, you know, are just into the idea of writing something negative, you know, um, well, that's the thing, too. The whole viral thing works for critics, too. I mean, if you're going to yeah. get noticed as a critic... Right. What was the, there was a Roger Ebert review of... What was the movie North? Remember this one? The, oh, that the was Rob the Reiner. infamous... He yeah, said, I right, hated this I, movie, hated, yeah, hated, yeah. hated, 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 and they turned it into a book. Yeah, right. You know? but, yeah, but, yeah, and by the way, I, you know, I think Roger Ebert... I think both those guys, bless their souls, were not very nice guys, because I think when they sometimes reviewed... And I'm not even talking about... You know, they, they, I don't even think they reviewed Cabin Boy Time, and everyone was piling on. It wasn't big enough for them to review, but, uh, you know, that was all bad reviews. But those guys, I've, uh, when they've not liked a movie, there's ones that I think about. I just think they're unnecess- they were unnecessarily mean. Like, Gene Siskel had a habit of always saying, like, you know, I want the two hours of my life back. It's like, fuck you. You're a critic. You watched a bad movie. <laughs> People listening to you are working, who knows, or maybe they're, maybe it's someone working at Hale House changing diapers on crack babies. You know, they lose a couple hours of their life as well, but you lost two. You want the two hours of your life back because you saw a shitty movie. <laughs> and then um, there was, uh, this is one of, of Roger Ebert that I remember reading that I just thought, you know, that was, that's a bad thing to say. That was, not, you know, uh, you know, not a good guy if he said this. He, there was a. I never saw this movie called Shakes the Clown. Bobcat Gold. Okay. Yes, I okay. never that. saw it. But it was. Uh, uh, you know, he. I, I guess wrote a really bad review of it. And then, I'm sort of halfway talking out of my ass here because I don't know all the facts here. I remember reading a review of his. I don't know when years ago. And and Bob Goldthwait had directed another movie that I guess had gotten sort of good reviews and was considered you know uh, a cut above or whatever, pretty good, not just a silly movie. And Ebert, and I'm paraphrasing here, his review said something, I guess he, I don't know, sort of liked it, but didn't like it, but then towards the end of the review, he said something of, you know, know, perhaps the film is meant to mean this or that, but he goes, it's doubtful that that was the intention uh, from the director who, by the way, gave us Shakes the Clown, or Shake the Clown, whatever Shakes the Clown. And I thought that's so, so in other words, Roger Ebert would never let, you know, the, whether it's me, the cabin boy guy, or the shakes the clown guy, is it shake or shakes? Shakes the clown, shakes the yeah, clown yeah. Guy. Yeah, oh, they're never allowed, they can never recover from that sin of also a movie, which is something that is 
by design going to fucking fall apart. Oh, you know, it's so rare, it's so hard to make a movie that works on any level. So, and there's so many people involved, and you, well, it you, wasn't can't, you can't just you can't really dissect it. So for Ebert to say that, and I've never met Bob Goldthwait. I don't know much. I don't know anything about him. I know him. Uh, I've seen him perform. You know that when he was he was in all the Police Pat Academy movies. Some, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I've never seen that. But I'm sure, yeah, but anyway, but I know who the guy is. But I felt bad for him when I read that because I thought, oh, you know, that's and I just thought that was like about the nastiest thing that a reviewer could do. Basically, what he was saying is. You could go and, and, and do the greatest piece of work that anyone's ever seen, but you're still just the guy that did Shakes the Clown, so it's not great. It's bullshit. You're no good. And if it is good, you didn't know it was good. It happened by accident. That's what this sort of what implied. I in wonder, the you know, it's, it's interesting. I wonder, though, if Ebert himself was kind of. I mean, Ebert, remember, wrote one, one movie. Beyond the Valley of the Dark. Right. Yeah, which, which he, 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 he defended that. And also, he had something to do with uh, the great rock and roll swindle. Oh, I didn't. Okay, swindle. I knew about yeah, the, Beyond a, the Valley of the Dark. Look, and the but. guy, look, I understand both. They both loved film and they you know gave so much back to the got it but you know something a book called I hated this movie I hated your your movie sucks how nasty is that why is that necessary you know what I mean yeah and also there's so many people that there's like I said no one sets out to make a bad movie who can you really hate or be pissed off at maybe someone who, uh, who makes a misguided movie a comedy about pedophilia or something you could actually think this guy's a fucking asshole and that, that and you could really like me put that but mostly it's just someone who they made a shitty movie or they made a silly movie that was meant for a base audience you know and um, I'm not talking about Cabin Boy by the way but well, I, I, I want to talk to you I want to talk about Cabin Boy but I, you got my point I want to go back to Daniel first but we're going to we're going to get into Cabin Boy in a minute because I got a lot to ask about that but here's Daniel with some questions from our audience um, yeah so so uh, in general, Bobcat Goldway, the Citizens on Patrol, that you, you do have to see him in that Police Academy. Yeah, Police Academy, Police Academy Police Academy was great one. Um, so there's some general, back to the icebreakers, there's some general disagreement about um, whether we should stay on those or more questions. Okay, but, the questions but there's a general, no, 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 but yeah. we'll, we'll move on, but there's a general agreement that the audience, our Twitter following wants to submit their own icebreakers. Okay. Um, that was Jocelyn528. Jocelyn um, yeah, they, they want to submit their own icebreaker, so we might come I, back to that at the end. I'm, I'm going to look for that. Yeah, um, but, but just like what Steve was saying, people want to hear about you. Um, Judith Riley really wants to hear about your book. And um, Damien C18 and Matt H are both big... You know, you know that? <laughs> they're, they're, Wait, did you say 18 or 17? Uh, 18. Oh, okay. No. No, the Damien, Damien C18, uh, they're both big fans of Cabin Boy. They said insane and hilarious and just want to know about the impetus for that. Where did you get your start? But um, let's do the book. for Everyone wants to know about the book, hear about, uh, yeah, you talk, talk about, about the book a little bit. And then we want to hear about Cabin Boy. Sure. And the book, by the way, the paperback edition just came out. That's, yep. The, yep. Uh, that's the official the impetus for this. But yeah, so let's... Well, let's talk about the book a little bit. Okay. Um, these are a bunch of very funny essays. Um, I say about, you know, sort of an anti-social life, but, but it's, there's, it, it, well, here's one. Here's one. Let me talk about one particular episode in there. You talk about your trip to Disney World yeah. a few years ago, and your sister-in-law has arranged this trip, and for, the first thing that I, and I've never been to Disney in my life until about a month ago. I went down there. There was an event I had to cover that was taking place in some convention center in Disney World. So I'd never been. And, and you have a, one thing you mentioned in there that jumped out at me right away is when you go into the hotel at Disney World, they tag you. Right, they put right. they put the, the band uh, yeah. around your right. wrist, and yep. they're like, yeah, it's like you feel like you're a fish being right. plucked out. Yeah, you're just basically, gonna, that's how you're going to, uh, you know... 
eat, sleep, drink, everything is going to be connected to this tag. And you feel like yeah. if you if you and walk out yeah. the gate, you're going to get an electric shock yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. God forbid yeah. you leave. Like, yeah, you're on a compound. It is true. You don't you don't really even if you take a shuttle somewhere. Uh, you, you know, I remember we were taking a shuttle, and I don't know you're, you're still not really seeing Orlando. You don't know where the hell you are, and uh, and then they then you then the door opens and welcome to downtown Disney. It's like, what the fuck is that? You know, <laughs> it's just more Disney stores and shit, and just uh, it's yeah. Yeah, I didn't. It's one of those things. Like when we were kids, my my parents wouldn't take us. We'd always, you know, we have to go to Disney World because everybody we know went to Disney World. Right. And I just I was walking around. No, I didn't. I, I don't mean to be the, the snob or whatever. I just I didn't I didn't get it. It's like yeah, it wasn't. You can, yeah, go, well, you can go to Six Flags if you want to go to amusement park or no, something. No, that's exactly but, it. Know. Or even more so, I think something that's that's more at least my speed. But I something like you know the, the boardwalk, the Jersey Shore, something like that. That and that's what I kind of thought. I thought Disney would not be like the boardwalk, but I well look, my daughter wanted to go, but then she didn't like it anyway. So I only went for her. If she's happy, I'm happy. You know, I don't care. But um, she didn't like it and. Uh, but I thought it would be something like Great Adventure or Hershey Park, which is, you know, right. a place near where I grew up. And that type of stuff is like every five feet, you can buy pizza, buy your fucking uh, Dippin' Dots, all that kind of stuff, you know. And But Disney isn't like that. That, that uh, There's so many things, but that's one of the... Uh, that, that's surprising more than anything. It's really hard to find food. You have to really look for it. And when you find it, it sucks, you know. But there's no easy slice of pizza or anything like that. I, I pretty much lived on those... Uh, those uh, uh, Smucker's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, oh, you know, those things that are yeah, in the yeah, cellophane yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's what I ate more than anything <laughs> when I was there. Yeah. And you also, this also, this trip was, so your, your sister-in-law, it, it, the social dynamics that you're kind of explaining in this essay I thought were really interesting because I was thinking about your sister-in-law who you're basically, a very negative uh, view of, and you're basically saying, you know, she she arranged this trip, orchestrated this trip as, as essentially like a, a power trip on, on her part. And in your relationship, basically, was destroyed by the strip. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it was a little, you know, it wasn't on firm ground to begin <laughs> with, but I think maybe... No, 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 I think it was a simple matter of uh, she... And there's nothing wrong with this. People like Disney, that's okay. I'm really not, you know, whatever. Whatever people enjoy. But she and her family loved Disney. Had been down there multiple times. And uh, so I think the sense was like she was showing us Disney. So... By me not liking it and really, you know, having a miserable time down there, I think that was somehow perhaps insulting to her. But I always thought, well, it's not like she invented Disney World. What did I do? You know, it's like the who's to be insulted? Not Walt. He's dead. And what would he care anyway? You know. But it's uh, um, so it was. Um, so that's what it was, and it was. Plus, it was really hot, and I, you know, I hate being hot, you know. And it's so, it was so fucking hot down there. Oh, we were there. So we were yeah. there in June. We should have expected. We were it. there in April. I think we better. Yeah. Yeah. I thought April. How hot? You know, how hot right. would it be? But so yeah. But it was. Uh, well, so, muggy too. Yeah, right? muggy it's just, too. Yeah. So humid. Yeah, it's uh, whatever. So it wasn't. Yeah, there was. Uh, we're cool now. But are you? But, t- are you really? Because I mean, in this book, she comes off. Pretty, pretty badly, but you, you are now actually... But I think I come off pretty bad, too. I mean, that's the thing is, I think I do, but anyway, but that's... A, no, um, it was, you know, there was some tension after that trip, and... Uh, and, and uh, How about after this book? Yes, there was some tension then as well, but 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 I think that's what she... I think she gets it now, and, uh, you know, I, I thought to myself, too, well, you know, even though I changed pseudonyms for different people in the book, like my brothers, too, or, you know, things like that, but I... And, and, uh, in her particular case, you know, I finally sort of asked myself, because I was thinking, ah, she should have a sense of humor about it, and it's not really, whatever. 
But if someone did that to me, I realize I have the thinnest skin of anyone. I would have been really pissed off. So, uh, but I but I would never be in that particular position because I would not like Disneyland. I can't think of something similar. I would not drag anyone to anyone. I don't expect right. anyone to do anything for me. You know what I mean? Like I'll do if people need something, I'll help them or do whatever they can. But I don't like to uh, obligate people to do anything. Even something as simple as you should see this book or watch this movie and then call them back. Did you see it yet? Did you read the book? Did you watch the movie? Because that's a a little bit of a chore. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes someone will recommend turning on to something you're really happy with. But so, but so, but if anyone, nonetheless, if, if someone was writing about me like that, I, I, I guess, yeah, I'd be pissed off. Even though you know, I, I did, I, I had to sort of, uh, I don't know, I had to adapt things a little different way to take, make sure it wasn't exactly. It, it was. I, See, that's the other thing I'm saying. Like, I did adapt things. It was pretty fucking close, you know? There were some things about it that I had to change to make it not exactly what she, you know, because I couldn't, I couldn't do it exactly. I couldn't write everything as it happened because right. it would have been too... There, there has to be a little license. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, a little license. It would have been too... Uh, but it was... There wasn't that much license. <laughs> you thing. also... And, and, yeah. One of the other, I guess, themes in the book, too, is you, you sort of... You're always expecting. You're always playing in your in your mind. What are the worst possible outcomes of this scenario? Yeah, I mean, that's of this, true. I've done that situation. since I was a kid. Yeah. Did, did you do that on your way down to the show tonight? Was there is there a worst? No, possible? no, 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 no. I know. I just all I thought is, of, you know, I hope it's not going to be really hot tonight because I dread going down. And it's not Orlando out tonight. It's no. Beautiful. No, no. I didn't. No, that's the thing about the book. It makes. I don't. That, that's not quite. It's called, you know, Will Not Attend, Lively Stories of Detachment and Isolation. And I think that, you know, uh, maybe gives the impression that it's just a book about a guy who doesn't like to do things. And that's certainly part of who I am. But I, I, I think it's the larger thing of just, like, you know, I'm kind of nuts. It's just about how I, I, I in many ways, just both the way I was wired when I was born and just growing up in a crazy house, the, it, 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 the book sort of gets inside my head. When I was writing it, I could feel that, and I think that that's really what it's about, just uh, how some people, whatever their quirks or craziness is, what causes it, how they thought as a kid. I just wanted to write about the way I thought, because I think it is a little nuts at times, you know? Well, and you, Even when I was, you know, younger. You, you were nuts. saying, I mean, there's, there were parts that I think it was the first essay in the book you're writing about growing up and, and not... Uh, your parents having to really wanted you to be socializing more with other kids, going to parties, going to events right. and everything. And you're talking about the, the the things that the other guys your age were really into that, you know, the things that I felt the same way as a kid too. Like I, the, the kids that made like fart noises or whatever. Oh, I, never, I hated I that. I never yeah. thought, I still, No, you know. the thing is I really hated boys, you know. I, mean, <laughs> I hated just like, you know, just the, the obnoxious, aggressive boys what you're describing. Like, Bert, like, like the belching like and all the that yeah, shit. I, I, hated when you were, I never played with trucks or things like I hated that. Transformers, yeah, that kind of I hated Transformers, I hated He-Man. hated all that stuff, yeah. Yeah, I like Police uh, Academy. Yeah, and I like girls. <laughs> girls were great. They were pretty, and they were nice, and they were, you know, just uh, um, kinder. You know, that's how it was. But it, but but school in general, I hated. You know, starting at like kindergarten or nursery school, whatever pre-K, whatever the hell it is, just because it felt like I, you know, I I felt like I was under someone's thumb right then that I was imprisoned. I like I just wanted to do my own thing. I didn't want to have to have. Even when my mom would send. Uh, I used to go to day camp. I never, I put my foot down at a young edge that I would never go to sleepover camp because that would be a real disaster. But even like, you know, a day camp, I just hated. I was like, I knew in first grade, it, you know, 
I w- it wasn't wasn't like I thought about it in these words, but it was like you know I got my whole fucking summer now to myself after that hell of school, and I have to go to fucking day camp, right. really, fucking play whatever crab soccer out in the field with these assholes, and you know it just it, it was and and it was my time. I like don't I deserve some time off? My mom had six boys, so it's like you know, she wanted everyone gone over the summer, so that was a problem. But I would have liked to just, you know, hung around the neighborhood road, you know, ride my bike. And you were, you were in, in school, you were, this, this I can definitely relate to, the um, uh, doing the absolute minimum amount of work Ab- needed yeah, to pass the class. And Yeah. I, I was aware in first grade about the, you know, 12th grade being it. I, just, I have to make the 12th grade. When you're in first, I mean, it, that really does seem like it's even worse. Like, 12 years seems so much further away than... I remember doing, is, yeah, I remember is, doing the math in my head as a kid, right? Yeah. And, and now when I think... I can think back 12 years now, and, you yeah. know, it's the snap of the finger, yeah. right? Right. But I can remember sitting there, second, third grade, and thinking I had to, like, high school graduation or something, or being yeah. in college. And it was like, this will never happen. This I never so went, I didn't even future. go to my graduation. But did you... Uh, where'd you grow up? Uh, Massachusetts. Right, so, like, like a suburban... Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that's the worst of the suburbs. Worst place to grow up, just, you know what I mean? It's anywhere, but it's... Uh, yeah, the big thing for us was, like, when we turned 13, we were allowed to go into Boston. During the day. See, in there was no place to go. There was no, there was no Boston. There was, what was it, Lancaster, maybe? Was that where we were? You Amish country. Yeah, that would be <laughs> Go the make some trip, baskets Lancaster. or something, right? But, uh... Uh, yeah, or, yeah, or visit a pretzel factory or some <laughs> shit like that. But it, it's uh, well, what is what is yeah. central? I mean, so the, the the reputation or the image of you know, Pennsylvania? You know, is that supposed to be? The I know. Middle, I is that true? Is that accurate? Is that? Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. I I that's one of the things in the book that I wish I wouldn't have put that term in Pennsylvania because it's sound, but it's because uh, it's it's not and that's not you know that's just a term. I didn't come up with that. That's a, like a, just a uh, slang term for Pennsylvania. It's central Pennsylvania. Where I, when I grew up, all I can say is the timing of it was, I think, bad. It was, uh, there's no, central Pennsylvania is just like, there was nothing to do. There's nothing, you know, there, there was never any, um, culturally it was just dead, you know. It was just, it, it, lots of varieties of potato chips in the, in, the, in the grocery store, more than most people, because Pennsylvania is like the snack capital world, you know, it makes a well, most of the pretzels and all that other kinds of all those like sort of a Nazi-ish Germanic things <laughs> that the companies that make these things, but uh, there was there was never anything to do. Everyone was pissed off. All the parents were pissed off. The teachers were pissed off. The kids were pissed off. It was just uh, I remember as a as an awful time, and it was dull. It was boring. There literally was nothing to do. When I grew up, it was sort of like a rural area that was turning suburban. Now it's all you know uh, strip malls and, and uh, right. AIDS and shit like that, but it which is it's another set of problems. Do you, do you go back there? Do you to visit my parents? Yeah, but it's it's not. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't like it at all, and I don't. Um, I, I've, I've yeah, it's hard to go back. It's not like uh, you know, like Springsteen. He can go back. You know, there's you know, like a lot of people, Springsteen. I listened to a lot of Springsteen when I was a teenager, and you can sort of relate. But part of me would think. Yeah, but wait a minute. You have, like, an ocean and a boardwalk and stuff. I have nothing but fields, you know. <laughs> but, the, but the idea of, uh, of going back, you know, home and, and uh, you know, loving your hometown, all this other stuff, I never had any of that. <laughs> but it was just because of whatever, the experience I had growing up there. So I can't say I'm not speaking for the people who live there now or even the people that grew up there, you know, the same time I did. They might have had a different experience. They probably fished and hunted and things like that. 
Um, we used to get off for the first day of deer hunting, by the way. That was oh, that sounds like a, That yeah. was the only thing I liked about deer hunting, and it gave me you get a the day, day off. Other than that, I know, I you know, in, in Maine, they still, they still get the first some day in September off for potato season. <laughs> the tradition is they would all go and plant potato. Now they just oh. basically take the day off. Right, but right. Oh, it's still I like a, that. It's still a step. Massachusetts was great, too. We had all these, like, weird random colonial holidays or colonial oh, that, yeah, significance. Yeah, oh, like, right. you know, evacuation day we would get off from school. Oh, that's cool. When the British left Boston Harbor or something, so... Um, that's the only reason I knew that was the history of it because uh, because we got the day off. Let's let's try another of these icebreaker questions. I know these. Any other book questions? Real quick. Anything specific to the anything, book? Anything, Daniel, from the? No, they just they just wanted to hear more about the, the book. So I think you covered that. Um, people want you guys to drink more. That's a, the general feeling that there isn't enough drinking going on for beer and loathing. Um, and uh, there were a couple of He-Man references after that. He-Man and Skeletor just got thrown out there just just because Steve mentioned He-Man. Uh, but people in general agreed with the kind of getting out of macho guys stuff. Um, at small said he made his parents take him out of karate class. Felt like yeah. you know, yeah, just, just, just yeah. didn't didn't need to be around that kind of machismo crap. Yeah, karate class. But no, you, you cover the book. I think you know they do want to hear about Cabin Boy when you guys sure. get to that. But you can do another icebreaker. I'm All still right. waiting for some more. I'm determined to work. So we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna take one more shot at the icebreakers here. This is a tradition we started with Ronan Farrow. So I want to uh, give us another number, one to eighteen. Seventeen. Uh, this year is the twentieth anniversary of the deaths of both Howard Cosell and Orville Redenbacher. If you could reanimate one of them, which would it be? Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> I, I, guess, I, guess, I guess Orville Redenbacher because he, you know, I'm never going to see him. I'm never going to hear from him. But Howard Cosell, I kind of. Uh, would be thrilled to hear his voice again. Not that he thought. Actually, he was kind of a character. Ah, fuck it. Bring them both back. Well, that's a safe I'm sorry, answer. That's yeah. A safe, yeah, I know. We shouldn't have to choose between people to reanimate. Yeah. They really, might not ideally, want to come back. Yeah, I know. That's right. I bet Cosette would want to come back. Well, today is the. I mean, Frank Gifford just died a few hours ago. So yeah, two, I heard that. The two Monday Night Football guys. Yeah. Um, all right. I said before I wanted to talk about. It, I do want to talk to you about Cabin Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is this is one of those movies I feel. If, if people, if you don't remember it. Uh, watching or listening to this, 1994, uh, is Chris Elliott, who, who'd kind of come to fame through the Letterman show in the 80s, he had a sitcom, I, I also want to talk to you about that, um, Get a Life on Fox in the early 90s, but then he had this movie, 1994, um, Cabin Boy, and you you directed it, but well, first of all, this was, so as I understand it, it was supposed to be a Tim Burton movie first? Yeah, it's, it's sort of a, this was, that, that, Chris and I, we were doing Get a Life at the time, and um, which was a really funny sitcom, by the way. I well, thanks. Okay, but that was like you know whatever. We didn't enjoy doing that. That had that was like a heart. Whatever. There was some, you, uh, even even the episode where you guys did the, you did a, a community theater version of Cats on roller skates. Right. Yeah. That's one of the funniest on things. Wheels, yeah. I thought yeah, that was hilarious. No, no. Some of those episodes came out okay, but uh, it was uh, the, 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 the the job itself. We had just come from Letterman and working, you know, out of you know, 30 Rock, and it was a great experience to suddenly being in this crappy, like, Sunset Gower Studios in, in Hollywood, and it, we didn't we didn't have a good time doing it. But anyway, in the second and last season of Get a Life, uh, uh, Chris got a call uh, Tim Burton liked the show and wanted to uh, meet him and, and talk about ideas, and so Chris brought me along because we had been writing together at Letterman, and, uh, you know, uh, 
for a couple of years. I mean, whatever we were, we, I worked with Chris. I was one of the writers who worked with Chris on his stuff there, and uh, so it ended up being. Uh, it's, I feel like I've told the story so many times. I don't know a quick way, or to me, it's been kind of. I don't know. It seems dull, boring at this point, but I'll I'll try to say what happened. Um, so anyway, so uh, Tim wanted to direct it. He was doing, I think, the second Batman movie, Batman Returns, and he wanted for his next movie. He wanted to do something simple like uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and he thought that you know Chris. He thought of Chris, and uh, he asked us if we had any ideas, and somehow it eventually came to uh, this takeoff on the movie Captain's Courageous, which is this classic old movie with Spencer Tracy. Um, and uh, Freddie Bartholomew about a little boy who a uh, snobby rich kid who stows away in a boat. I forget how it happens now. I've seen it in a long time. So anyway, Tim loved that idea. Uh, Chris and I broke the story. I wrote the script, and Tim was going to direct it. And we thought, all right, well, this is fine. This is what's you know, uh, you know. But we never would have. Uh, it's not something that Chris and I ever set out to do. We were never even talking about doing a movie. No one, you know. But Tim. Called, so then, at the last minute, Tim pulled out from directing it and, just, and suggested that I direct it and I, I I didn't want to do it because I had never directed a movie and you know I, plus I was thinking shit if Tim directs it um, it'll be a hit and that'll be good for me it'll be good for Chris and but uh, with me directing it what, what's that and so I didn't want to do it but they, everyone convinced me my agent and everything no no you know it'll be you know it'll be fine you'll be fine but the biggest problem was the script was sort of written for Tim Burton. It was written for Tim Burton completely. So now, and I would not have written, you know, if Chris and I were going to write a movie, it would not have been cabin wearing. It wouldn't have been something like that. Who knows what it would have been. It wouldn't have been that. Um, and uh, so I'm sort of first time directing a movie that I don't have. A, it's, you know, it was for Tim, but then we had swung it around and made it kind of like a, a Chris and I, our sensibilities get interjected into it, and it, was, it became neither here nor there, and uh, I, I mean, remember, I don't think we knew it when we, you know, we were shooting it, what the hell this was going to end up being like, you know, we just did our best and tried to, and to see what happened, but then it came out, and it was just vilified more than any movie that, you know, that I can, and this is pre-internet, and it really got around, I think it was, it, it became, uh, I mentioned Shakes the Clown, which I think is a movie that, that critics and people pretty hard on, but, but they hard on. They were pretty uh, tough on that movie, and uh, but it doesn't have... Uh, Cabin Boy had a notoriety for a while as, as just such a complete piece of shit, and really uh, for Chris and I, it's, it was psychologically damaging to this day. I mean, at the because I don't... Here's a people that might, who were too young to remember it, maybe not even born, is that uh, people were not just, it's not that people didn't like Cabin Boy. And keep in mind, this is a small little sort of under-the-radar movie. I mean, how many movies did Polly Shore make? You can't even mention them all. You know, there's people, I guess they're considered, I've never seen them, but I guess, you know, whatever, they're considered bad movies. Well, this was seen as worse than a Polly Shore movie. And it was, but unlike Polly Shore, a Polly Shore movie, or, every, you know, all the shitty movies that come out, that it, they come out, they get bad reviews and are forgotten, uh, Cabin Boy lingered as a sort of iconic bad movie, thought, and and so that was uh, an awful thing. But people, it's not just that they didn't like it. Uh, people, it angered people. It, it, Cabin Boy, for whatever reason, pissed people off at the time. You know that people who saw they were like they were so like, how did these guys? And first of all, why did were they, these guys? Chris Elliott and Adam Resnick. No one knew who the fuck. We're like we were no one. We're no. We're like no. I mean, Chris had some had some you know celebrity from Letterman and Get a Life. And no one. They, 
I was not known to anyone, really. I mean, if they, unless they watched a Saw My Name on a Get a Life episode or something. But it would it turned into be like a sort of a semi big deal. Like Cabin Boy for a while was, you know, when people would talk about a bad movie, Cabin Boy for a brief period replaced Heaven's Gate. But think about that Heaven's Gate, a movie that was like this gigantic, expensive <laughs> movie worth talking about to this silly little Disney comedy, little ten million, nine million dollar movie at a time when Disney was making so many other live action movies that were nothing to write home about. It's like a Captain Ron and Hocus Pocus and the air up there. I remember and my all the boyfriends. <laughs> Back. These are all these touchstone, the, the, the touchstone, right. the brand, you know. But Cabin Boy was was um, singled out for extra special attention, and it went on for several years, and it was uh, really depressing. You know, I, I I've said this before, and it's absolutely true. I was, I didn't leave the house for a couple days. It was the, it was so bad, and these are the days of fax machines, and so Disney marketing would send over the reviews, and uh, I would jump every time I'd hear the little click of the fax machine coming out, and then the, it slowly would come out, you know, the latest review, and I would just see the words slither out of the fax machines, it's like, Cabin Boy Sinks, that would be the headline, every, every title had some nautical pun about how shitty the movie was, and, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and, it didn't even deserve that attention. Quite frankly, it was such a, in theory, under-the-radar movie, it didn't even deserve to be widely reviewed. So Chris and I will never know what the hell it, what was going on that particular winter, you know, of 1994, I think it was. And uh, um, But it was really... But, but now, now, but now... Didn't it, yeah, I feel like... Cause I, I, it said it around I, I wasn't so kidding much. at the beginning no, when no, I said no, I, I like it. I understand that, no, because you know. Chris and I, you know, we, we occasionally... Uh, we're asked to do screenings, you know, uh, at places, and so that we show the movie and do Q and A. And there is a, you know, there's an audience, a small audience, but it's uh, a small cult following that seems to like the movie. And uh, while I, for a while, I thought, well, if anyone says they like it, they like it because it's one of those, oh, it's so bad, it's good movies. But you know, uh, people have told me uh, at these things that, that that's not it, and I'll, I've not seen it in its, in its entirety since, you know. It came out, you know, and because I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I like about it, yeah. is, and, and it's what I like it because of Chris Elliott, and I always thought and it's right. sort of what I liked about Get a Life too, the, the Chris Elliott sitcom. I, I try to put words to it. What I liked about Chris Elliott was there was this sort of um, exuberant absurdity to it, right? Um, and there's this, this and weird, it was unique with Chris. Yes, like very a, unique. And so to watch him play that character and things things that happen in that movie, there's one scene where he gets what does he he he's afraid of getting. Uh, uh, sunburn, and he, he thinks he's putting on suntan lotion, but it's Chocolate actually like or yeah, or it's or, like yeah, it's oil, yeah. cooking oil. Or or cooking oil, that's right. Cook, so right, it's yeah, like yeah, the yeah. worst thing you could possibly put on, right? Which is funny as hell. But then his reaction, the way his character reacts yeah, to this, yeah, no, right. And yeah, the next yeah, thing yeah. you know, he's drinking water from the ocean, yeah. and it's just, yeah. he's, it, I just, it's worse. I, I'm, the first time I watched it, I mean, it, it was hilarious. I thought I was truly thought it was a, a hilarious movie. So well, that's that's well, no, that's that's. Uh, well, by the way, your reaction, the people that like the movie are people, I think, that were not necessarily, didn't see it, that didn't see it when it first came out, maybe. I think uh, there are some of those people, too, but most of the people... Right, no, and I, I remember what you And said, also the I, people I remember, like you, I think, you know, I know, I, the only thing I realized after, you know, doing several of these screenings is that most of the audience doesn't know what Chris and I are talking about when we talk about that the aftermath and how bad it was they didn't they didn't know that, that I've seen that I do, I do remember that part they, didn't, yeah. they don't know yeah. yeah they didn't know that. that's nice to know thanks um, but well, <laughs> some people, people they don't know they kind of look at you we're like what what they didn't know that it had this uh, you know awful reception when it came out uh, so I mean I'm glad uh, no that's okay I mean it's not I've 
occasionally when it's on cable, which is rarely, if I see it, I actually will watch. I've watched last time, it was a couple years ago. I remember watching a few minutes and thinking this is not so bad. Actually, it's kind of cool looking. But I quickly change the channel because then if I watch long enough, then I'll see what's so bad. But it's not by any means a great movie. But maybe the flaws are part of its charm and the the the, the, the you know sort of ragged edges. But it's. Uh, I, I can't look at it objectively, and so I, I don't know really. I don't know how to. I have often thought, which is really interesting, and I'll, is um, what I would think of that movie because I'm pretty hard on movies. I'm kind of a snob about everything, so um, I, I don't know. I wonder if I would like it, you know. And the problem with me is I usually have to love like something completely. I wish I was better about. Um, you know, sometimes you can enjoy a movie that's not great, but there's some stuff in it that's that's pretty good. I, I guess there's a few things I can do that, but ultimately, what I'm always going for is to just say, wow, from top to bottom, that was a great movie, and that's a hard thing to do, so I don't know if I would like it or not. You know, I won't watch, um, I've been doing the, the show on MSNBC for about two and a half years now, I won't watch it. I've never seen yeah. an episode of it, and it's, I, I, I have friends who will DVR it, and I'll be at their place, and they'll be like, hey, let's... Yeah, I can never... I, yeah. it's, it's painful for me to do it, and I, it's, everybody who's sitting here in the bar is... Uh, works on the show and they do a fantastic job on it so it's not any of their work it's just me though but I feel right. like the delivery is all wrong what a terrible question I ask I just see I, I, it's the same thing like when I I don't know my first job ever was working at a Papa Gino's a pizza place in Massachusetts right. and I remember yeah. like I love Papa Gino's as a kid we always and after two weeks of working there I was like who would ever want to eat at this shitty place it's just <laughs> like fun. it's like I saw, yeah. I'm, I'm, making, I'm making the pizza, I'm like, this is all it is? This is terrible, who wants this? Right, right. And my parents would be like, bring back pizza, bring back pizza. And I, I'd be like, no, I'm not giving you this food, it's, it's terrible, right, it's going right, to make yeah. you sick. So I don't know, maybe it's just me about my, so own, <laughs> <laughs> my own work product, I, I guess I'm not yeah. too proud of, yeah. but, but I, you know, again, the people here do fantastic work. And I'm, yeah, well, I'm a little I'm mortified, I didn't realize that we would be photographed, because I see, that's a whole other level. I could never, like, I would never listen to this, I don't listen to anything where I hear my voice or... Or anything to see myself, but now this is. You don't like your voice? No, I I, I hate listening to my own voice too. I I, it's, I feel it's it's um, I, I play these back because I do listen to these sometimes, and I, my voice is I, I think it's too hyper. Well, I think it's fine. I, I, well, it's a cliche there, which is I hate the sound of my own voice, but uh, I, I mean I really know that I my voice is awful, and also I can't believe you've been photographing this. Look how puffy my hair is today. Well, we, this is a, this is our tradition. We started. As if a, that uh, makes a difference to my general looks. Yeah, if, the hair, <laughs> if I only had the hair down, everything would be solid. But. We we started a tumbler last week. Do you know? You know yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so we have an official show tumbler, and we have to have a picture of every guest on there. Oh, so okay. but we could do like an artist rendering of you or something if you want. That'd we be good. Yeah, draw the draw the, for that. the stick figure or something. Yeah. Um, here's another uh, thing I want to ask you about from your career. Um, so I mean, Chris Elliott is sort of a a common thread here you did you were part of uh, you were writing for SNL for one season and it was the season he was on it right yeah and it wasn't uh, that's yeah I it was part time at best it was basically they I, I think they, they wanted me to write there Jim Downey was there at the time and I came in a few times and helped Chris write some sketches and some other things I never I never even stayed overnight once just simply was like what no <laughs> I'm not gonna say you know how they write. Oh, one so you, night didn't, you didn't get that experience. Just, no, 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 I didn't do that, and it wasn't yeah. even. I wasn't really on. So I, it was a weird thing for me. And then they kept my name on the credits even after I had sort of stopped uh, going in. I, I it, it was an odd. I don't think it was. Uh, you know, I I didn't want to do it as a full time thing. I think the idea was that I would do it for a little bit, and uh, 
and then I would decide to do it full time, you know. But I, but I didn't. And, and the, the season Chris was there, I mean, it's not against SNL or, or, or their um, their process, but that was that season was a bad. That, that was, I mean, was ninety four, ninety five. I mean, I'm not just bad creatively, but bad. There's a vibe up there when I visited Chris. Just people were not happy. The cast was too big. That some of the big guys like Sandler and Farley and them were on their way. They were like shooting movies on weekends. So you could tell they already had one foot out and. Uh, it was a. Uh, it was one of those times where it was too big a cast, and it's not. And, and they didn't know how to place everyone. And, and it was. I don't think it was a good fit for Chris, and I think he realized that from the first day. You know? Well, we. Uh, one of our uh, audience members tonight is a producer of my show, Casey Schaefer, was an intern on SNL for the '94-'95 season. Really? So that was that was why. That I, was like. Yeah, it was. She says she remembers how sad people were. There about how you know what it's like, and I think it you know it changes from season to season. It was not I, I often like I don't know what it, what it probably would have felt great if I was up there doing the you know the height of the season of like Bill Hader and those people when they were when they're doing, but but that show is sort of cyclical and, and that happens. It just happened that they were off that that was here they they were they I guess you know it just didn't work. Yeah, they I mean in the mid eighties I remember they had the there was one year too they. Uh, well, the years without Lauren, that was a disaster. Is it, right, first, right. Like, that, like, it's, yeah, did you did you get to know Lauren at all? Did you work with him at all? Or did um, you... I, I, I mean, I, I had some long conversations with Lauren because he, you know, um, they were looking for writers at the time, and uh, um, but it and he was really nice. I mean, he was. Uh, I found him to be a good guy. I always like wondered why people that go on to greater things and they sort of badmouth Lauren but the guy did get you in there he didn't you know he, he, but I don't know I, look, I the last time I spoke to him was probably back then so it doesn't but I just remember was, it's one of those classic things that I hate that people do when is next along he's always nice to me that's I guess what I'm saying about, right? about Lauren there's a lot of times that people say it's like come on that guy that I don't like you're, that's, that, that you're going to say he was always nice to me you can't tell what you know but but there's you know I don't know there there there's you know, everyone that's in a position like that is going to be. I'm just cataloging in my head here the number of times I've said he's always been nice to me about somebody, and I'm, I'm feeling a little guilty right no, no, no. now. I that's my go to. Uh, no, yeah, everyone yeah. does that. But there's some people that are awful, you know, that you shouldn't be saying that about, that you just know. But, you know, like, maybe I can't even think of an example. But, uh, well, let's check in with, uh, with Daniel and see what, uh, what the audience is talking about. Some general trends: people love the music and are uh, continue to like Smokey Robinson, and they think it's a nice background for you guys. Um, they're, they're big Cabin Boy fans, so you, you you've got a lot of support there. Though some people took issue with Hocus Pocus being maligned. We do have some Hocus Pocus fans, so they. Just wanna... okay, I just want to say right now. I've never seen it. I'm just being, I'm bitter, I'm being sarcastic. And it's a funny thing to say, hocus pocus. All I remember is that was around generally the same time that the Capitol was greenlit, some sort of anti touchstone live action stuff in that period. I'm sure that will calm them. Steve, you, uh, people like your curiosity. They want you to watch your show. Um, and they're excited that you cover for Rachel. And they say, enough said that they're, they're big fans of that. And then, um, 
uh, I, I want to get, Eliza Booth keeps asking about your Harrisburg roots, suburb, high school. We have some Pennsylvania people who kind of want to know a little more about your your bio in detail in Harrisburg, so oh, they can kind of yeah, continue. Yeah, no, well, um, I went to Susquehanna Township High School. It was, uh, what, are, what are the other details they want to know? That's pretty specific right there. Um, it was, uh, uh, yeah, I, what can I say? It's where I grew up. I grew up in Harrisburg. It was, uh, um, <laughs> in a particular, particular suburb? The suburb, um, well, so, well, Susquehanna Township, so that's, uh, what's the, what's the mascot at, uh, Susquehanna High School? The Indian. Oh, that's... <laughs> Go Indians. They're gonna change that now because that's the people are they're revisiting a lot of these. I think that that high school right now has so many problems. The mascot is the least of it. You know, <laughs> I hear, yeah, I hear it's gone downhill. By the way, it was downhill when I was there. It's, <laughs> it was never anything but downhill. It was a you know, but uh, uh, yeah, I do want to give a shout out to Harrisburg Area Community College, also known as Hack. And locally, it is true that no. But if it wasn't for Hack, I would never have gotten out of town because my grades were so terrible. By the time I wanted to go to NYU Film School, who would take anyone to write that? Just you know, would write the check that had the money, um, which we barely did. Uh, but I uh, had to go to Hack for two years just to get decent enough decent grades to get into NYU. And it was it's a good for it. Hack to me it was that was the way out of there. So if anyone wants to get out of Harrisburg, I mean, uh, have better things that they didn't do well in high school, hack is your answer, and it's, I'm sure it's still a great school, it's great there, great two-year school, I'm proud of that community college. There we go, alright, if you're looking for a junior college in central Pennsylvania, junior, absolutely. ladies right. and gentlemen, we've got, one, we've got one for you. Well, let me, let me ask you this, we've got a, a couple minutes left here, um, so you, you, you wrote this, the book came out originally last year, you got the paperback edition coming out right now, is, this, now, yeah. is this sort of the... Um, the are you going to be writing more books, or do you want to go back to TV? What do you want to do? No, I absolutely want to write more books, and you know I'll do other things too. The one thing about the book, uh, and getting back to Cabin Boy, and then there's like uh, Death to Smoochie, Lucky Numbers. These are movies that I wrote, especially Lucky Numbers and Death. It's, well, that was originally called Numbers. Once they changed it to Lucky Numbers, that said it all. But uh, these were things that, which is typical. This is not. I'm not the only person. You write something, you like the way it turns out, but you don't have any control over the movie. Uh, and so um, you feel like, wow, what a waste! Why did you know just writing that? Like no one's ever going to read the script. Well, they know it's, it. They just know it's a bad movie. And that's how when you when things have to be turned into a TV show or a movie, um, there's a good chance it's going to fall apart somehow. And the writing, you're, what if you wrote anything good? It doesn't matter. And that was uh, over the years. I kept thinking I wanted to write a book. I kept putting it off, and I finally did. And it was for me the best experience because that really is complete control, complete creative control. And if people don't like it, that's still fine if they don't like it ever. But for me, it's like I have no excuses. Like if the book, I stand by the book. You know what I mean? If you like it, if you don't like it, it's. It, and I was, uh, you know, I think it came out okay. I'm, Except I'm, they wouldn't I'm let you. They wouldn't let it. you name the restaurant where you almost swallowed a razor. They right? would not. Absolutely, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm going to ask they you would. about that one off the air. Yeah, yeah. You can ask me off the air. But the book is great. I mean, it's it, it, as far as the sense of just having control. Not it not didn't have to be turned into anything else. I didn't have to involve think about actors and producers or or network executives or studio executives. It's just pure, you know. So I would definitely do another. Definitely do another book. Do you think you'll uh, work with Chris Elliott again? Uh, probably, yeah. I hope so. If people will have us. I mean, you know, after Cabin Boy, I remember we tried, and 
everyone would always be like, oh, those guys, no way. That was always the reaction. More, more, more um, potential outlets now, though, right? Like with Netflix, with uh, yeah, it's true. online. Is there, are there more opportunities now? There, well, there are more opportunities, but never forget, the line is always just still out the door. Because, I mean, you can do it. I mean, I'm not thinking about... It's not like I'm thinking to do that. It's ne- it's never quite easy. You got to come up with something good. You got something good. They'll put it on the air, <laughs> you know. But it is you know, uh, cable is a great thing. It's better than 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 all these movies. I'm not the first one who said that, uh, obviously. But cable, that's where there's a lot of you can see so much good stuff now. And what I love too about or like Netflix, Amazon is used to be. I mean, it's still the case with networks or whatever. But they'd start a show. They cancel it four episodes in. You'd never find out what happened. You, you right. Like now on Netflix, they put a season up. Right. So even if it, it's not successful, they don't make a second season. Whatever. You got a full story arc, and you actually That's get. That's great. See and it. I like short seasons. I don't. I think. I think eight. Six to eight episodes is plenty. You know. You think about the the you know model in Great Britain's like The Office. What was that like? Two two seasons of six or right. something. You know. That's perfect. That's all you need. Um, close with the question I, I end up asking everybody I'll ask you um, so if you weren't if you weren't doing this if you weren't in you know writing and comedy for a living what, what would you be doing you think what would I want to do or what would I end up doing what do you think you would be doing what would you be doing now if you weren't doing this well I, if I had not made that that call to Letterman at that hour of that day to ask about internships I don't know I think there's a good chance that, you know I'm talking about, I don't know I, I might I mean I might have been forced to go back to Harrisburg or something like that. I don't know why I'd be in bad shape because I, you know, it's you know, it's hard to this business. You know, there's so much luck involved, and you just have to sort of be able to deliver. You know, once you're in it, but on some level. But uh, I honestly don't know because it's not like I ever set out to be a writer, a comedy writer, or anything. I didn't think about that stuff. I, was, I love movies. I like to read a lot and stuff. That, that all, that all, you know, the thought of that happened sort of later after high school. My my whole goal through. School is just to get the fuck out of school and then do nothing. That was what my goal was. So uh, I don't think I answered your question. I can't. I, it's I don't know. <laughs> no, I that's no that's idea. why I like. You know, that's I, why yeah, I like yeah. asking the question because yeah, I think yeah. that it's true in my Probably case too. Probably something really sad. I'd be. Yeah, I don't know. Well, you could be teaching at Hack. i Yeah, I don't know if I'm quite a teacher. Maybe. Maybe <laughs> go back uh, and teach creative yeah, writing yeah, or something. Right. Or maybe I could work in the kitchen or something at Hack. There's probably worse things than that. I think. They had, a, they had a burger there that was not bad that I think was 80% soybean or something. They had a soybean burger. Yeah. Well, they didn't call it that. They called it a hamburger. What but did I think they it not was, have at half? It had a lot of filler <laughs> in it, yeah. And they also had Fanta birch beer, you know, on the tap. That was good. That's a great place. Um, Adam Resnick, author of Will Not Attend. Uh, thank you for being here. This was great. Thank you. This is really good. I, I don't know. The whole thing seems like a dream. What did I say? I was rambling a lot. Well, we could do more icebreaker questions too if you want, but this <laughs> That's right. didn't yeah, seem no, to be no. a match okay. with you. But, um, but thanks for joining us. This was no, fantastic. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. And thank you for watching Meerkat. Thank you for listening on the podcast. And we're going to be back roughly a week from now. I think it's going to be next Monday night. We'll be back. Can't announce the guests quite yet. We're still working on nailing that down, but we'll be back in, in eight days. So we'll see you then. <laughs>